All right, good evening, everyone. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 tonight, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5. Tonight, we're going to wrap up a teaching series that if you've been with us, you'll know uh, we've been doing really throughout the summer, uh, a number of weeks here, thinking and, and really trying to deeply consider um, what these um, digital tools, what the internet and our phones and our TVs and our laptops have to do with our spiritual walk. And throughout the entirety of the series, um, we have been trying to make this point over and over and over again. Um, that when it comes to your phone, our, our goal is not for you to see your phone as wicked. Our goal is not for you to see your phone as some unmitigated good in your life. Um, really, what you heard at the end of last week, if you were here for our panel, is this simple statement that your phone is a tool. Like it's a tool. That's it. And what we need to do is we need to put tools in their right place in their life. We talked about how bizarre it would be if you carried around a hammer all the time. You're like, hey, yeah, my hammer. You want to see this? You want to talk about it? Like you're just constantly obsessed with it. Something would be wrong with you. And yet we have these digital tools and we think like we can create a whole lifestyle brand around it. So, so your phone is a tool. It's important for us to recognize this. And as we talk about this tonight, I want to help you understand a little bit of what we've been trying to see. See, we've talked about this tool, and we've said that that tool can be an obstacle for your growth. That tool can be an obstacle for your growth. Like that tool can be something that you can put so much time and so much attention into. You can be so obsessed with that tool that is in your pocket that can actually be an obstacle to your spiritual growth. It can rob time. It can rob your attention. It can rob your affection for God. Like we're just all going to be honest enough to say it can pull us into sin. It can pull us into laziness. It can pull us into being disengaged with the people who are literally right in front of us at dinner as we're texting on our phone or being more respectful and putting our phones face down on the table just in case someone else contacts us during that dinner. But like that's what we've talked about. It can be an obstacle for your relational and spiritual and mental growth. But then I also want to say this tonight because here's how we're going to close out our series. Your, your, th this tool can also be an opportunity for your growth. And tonight, here's what I want to do. I want us to think deeply about our phones and how this can be an opportunity for our spiritual growth. Because again, this series is not a series to try to get you to use your phone less. This is not a series about technology's evil and it's bad. Stay away from it. We want to identify that your phone is a tool and that tool can be an obstacle to your growth. But tonight, I want to also talk about how it can be an opportunity for your growth. And even better than your growth is this, that that tool can be an opportunity for the growth of others. Tonight, I want you to think about that tool in your pocket, that tool that you have in your purse, that tool that's sitting on your lap right now, that phone. And I want you to think about how it can be an opportunity for your own spiritual, mental, physical, emotional growth and the growth of others. We're going to see this in Matthew chapter 5 if you have your Bibles with you. This is during Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, this sermon he gives that really encapsulates his moral teaching and how we're supposed to flourish and live. He says these words in Matthew 5.13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. This is how he begins. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He makes a declaration about who you are. Now, who's the you here? The you is followers of Jesus. And I don't want to assume that everyone in this room is in fact a follower of Jesus. I know many of you are, but for some of you, you've been far from God or you're not sure you are following Jesus. And the last thing I would want you to believe tonight is that you're supposed to behave in a certain way so that God will love you. Like the whole point of the Christian gospel is that you have behaved poorly and God loves you anyway. The whole point of the Christian gospel is you failed miserably and God says, I want her in my family. I want him in my family. I would pay for them to be in my family with my son's life. Like the whole point of the gospel is that God looks at you and doesn't say, earn your way to me. He says, I loved you already. So here's who you are. Here's what you're like. Uh, like I want to point out something important here. 
If you're not a Christian, I want you to understand that this is not the way you get to heaven. It's not the way you get to God. The whole Christian story is that God came to you. But if you are a Christian, I want you to understand that Jesus says some things that are true about you. Like, can I just observe something really simple but important tonight? Jesus does not command you to be salt. Sometimes I hear Christians be like, we're supposed to be salt and light. We're called to be salt and light in the world. Wrong. Jesus does not command anyone to be salt. Jesus says that you already are. He says, this is who you are already. Jesus isn't trying to get you to be something interesting or different or other than he's already made you. Because of the gospel, because he saved you, he says, this is who you are. Jesus says, you are salt. He doesn't command you to be salt. He tells you, this is what you already are. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor, right? Like, people try to push this thing way too literally. They're like, we are salt, which means, you know, like, it means, it's a, it's a picture. It's an image, people. Like, Jesus does this throughout the whole, the whole the, all the Gospels. In the ancient world and in our world today, let me just give you three things salt does. This will help us understand what Jesus means when he says, you are salt. Number one, salt creates thirst. Right, like this is an obvious one. So when you're snacking on some Cheetos, the reason you're thirsty is because of the salt, right? Salt reminds you to drink water and some of you need to drink more water, especially, no, that's not part of the sermon. Okay, salt creates thirst. Number two, salt brings flavor. Like, I don't know if you know this, but salt doesn't actually have any flavor of its own. Like salt brings out the flavor in food. That's why you add salt to it to accentuate and bring out the flavor that's already in the food. There's other seasonings that add flavor, but what salt does is it brings out the flavor that's already there. And then finally, salt preserves things that decay. See, in the ancient world, they didn't have refrigerators. Uh, they didn't have freezers. They didn't have ice packs. So what they would do with a piece of meat that they cut up is they would put salt on it. And salt allowed that decaying thing to last a little bit longer than it otherwise would. It wouldn't last forever, but it would last a little longer than it otherwise would. See, they would put salt on food in order to keep it from decaying. And do you know that we do the same thing? Do you know that like super highly processed food from the grocery store is the same thing? They just pour buckets of salt in it, and that's why it can sit on your shelf for two and a half years? Like, like that's what happens. It preserves things. It keeps them from decaying. And so again, if we look at this list, we go, okay, salt creates thirst, salt brings flavor, salt preserves that things that decay. What we need to say is, okay, in some way, this is, this is part of the identity of the Christian. This is part of not what God has called us to do, but part of who we already are. So let's talk about it in three ways. Number one, salt creates thirst. Followers of Jesus can create a thirst for God. This is what we have the capacity to do. This is what God has equipped you to do. My question for you when it comes to your phone, when it comes to your social media, when it comes to your behavior online is this, does anyone want more of God because of you? Like, does the way you behave online, do the things you post online, do the text messages you send to people make anyone in your world want more of God? Like, if you're going online and you're posting things that are compelling and beautiful, and I don't just mean like you're posting Bible verses or sermon clips, that's a beautiful thing to do. But even like we were hearing in that video, when you just post compelling and beautiful and wonderful things and you use that to point toward Jesus, it makes people have a thirst, a hunger, a desire for God. Uh, like I'll put it in a different domain. I have a buddy of mine uh, who loves to just send scripture. Like he doesn't try to be fancy. He doesn't try to be cool. He just sends scripture via text messages occasionally to people. And his whole point is just like, I want to build them up. I want to give them a hunger for God. He knows one verse isn't enough to know the whole Bible. He just hopes by offering a little, it'll make people hungry for more. This is what we as believers can do. And in the digital space, 
Can we all just confess that there is plenty of room and opportunity for us to create a thirst for God, to create a desire for God? People should look at your life and go, I want what she has. I want what he has. And if people look at your life and don't want what you have, that's a problem, but we'll get to that in a second. Followers of Jesus can create a thirst for God. Number two, followers of Jesus can bring out the best in others. Remember we talked about salt brings out flavor. It doesn't bring its own flavor. It brings the best flavor out of something else. The reason I put salt on something is because I know there's a flavor inside of there and salt helps make that emerge. It helps bring it out so the world can experience it. That's what we as Christians can do. It is what God has equipped us to do. And the way we step into that identity is we become the type of people who insist on bringing the best out of others. How do we do that in the digital space? One word, if you're taking notes, write this down. Encouragement, encouragement. I was just reading the scriptures earlier today, Acts chapter 17 or pardon me, Acts chapter 14, we were doing a teaching for something totally different. And we were looking at this scripture and we were noticing that one of the spiritual disciplines the early church practiced was encouragement. And that doesn't sound super spiritual to you. Like being kind and building people up and affirming people and saying good things about people and really trying to bless and build people up. That doesn't sound spiritual to a lot of us, but it is. It's profoundly spiritual. Like one of your primary roles in life is to encourage. And when we are salt, what we're doing is we're bringing out the best in others. We're saying kind things about them. You want one of the best ministries you could have? What if you just decided every time you saw a post and you had to spare 45 seconds or 10 seconds, you would just build people up in the comments section? What if instead you just decided I'm not going to be the person who's negative and critical and mean and rude all the time because I want to remind you that cynicism is not a fruit of the spirit. Negativity is not a fruit of the spirit, but you being loving and good and patient and kind and building people up is. And so I want to invite you to that, to be an encouragement, to be the type of person who just grabs your phone and texts someone and says, hey, you know what? You popped into my mind today. I wanted to pray for you. Just wanted to know you're loved. I care about you. You matter to me. Do that. Build that up. How do you use this phone, this digital tool, as a tool for other people's growth, for other people's flourishing? How do you act as the salt that Jesus says you are? You build people up by bringing out the best in them. And then finally, salt preserves things that decay. Listen, followers of Jesus can proclaim hope and healing to the world. But like the world is decaying, it's dying. Like the world is filled with sin and wickedness and suffering. And I need to let you know, until Jesus cracks the sky and takes us all home, that's going to continue. And on some level, that can feel discouraging. Like, okay, if that's going to happen, like why even try? It's the same reason that you go to the doctor. Like, can I just fill you in on something? Especially if you're wanting to be a doctor. Doctors don't keep people from dying. You're like, what? No, that's what they do. No, no, everyone still dies. Doctors keep people from dying today. That's their job. Get them to the next day and the next year and the next year after that. See, every medical professional knows people are going to die eventually, but they don't go, well, everyone's going to die anyway, so who cares, right? They do, they'd be a terrible doctor, but they don't do that, right? What they say is, listen, I know they're going to die, but not this day, not on my watch. And that's how we can approach the world. Listen, we know it's decaying. We know there's sin. We know there's suffering. We know people are having a hard time, but not on our watch. 
Like today, we're gonna build them up. Today, we're gonna proclaim hope. Today, we're gonna see someone who posts that they've gone through a hard thing. And rather than just double tapping the like and moving on, we're gonna call them with our cell phone. We're gonna text them and tell them, I care about you, I love you. And then we're gonna go on DoorDash and we're gonna send them pretzel bites because that makes everyone's day better, right? Like we are actually going to use these digital tools to invest and build into other people. We're gonna proclaim the hope of Jesus. Like again, I don't think your social media feed just has to be this constant stream of Bible verses and Jesus stuff in order to be valid. But let me challenge you. If I go on your social media and there is no reference whatsoever to Jesus, but you claim that he's the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords, there's a mismatch there. There is. And if that offends you, I just want to say like, again, my goal isn't to make everyone's social media feed a constant stream of Jesus. But if it never gets referenced, if it's never brought up, I just have to wonder if in some ways you're not stepping into the identity that Jesus has for you, where he says, you are the salt of the earth. And what can salt do? It creates a thirst for God. It brings out the best in others. It proclaims hope and healing to the world. See, this is what we're called to. Not because this is some random activity Jesus lays on us, but because he says, you are salt. This is how I've made you. This is what I've made you into when you were born again in me. Now, here's the final observation I want to make on this part of the scripture. Um, salt works in a really particular way. Um, salt only works if it has contact, right? Like if the salt is sitting in the salt shaker and my steak is sitting over here, it doesn't work at all. Even if it gets kind of close, it doesn't work at all. Salt only works when I shake it out and it actually has contact. And here's the truth. Your ministry as salt in this world only works if you have contact with people who don't already believe in Jesus. And you know what the great temptation, the longer you're a Christian is? If you've been a Christian for like five minutes, you won't get this. If you've been a Christian for most of your life, here's what you'll get. You end up having Christian friends and you live with Christian roommates and you work with Christian people, or maybe you don't work with Christian people, but you don't hang out with those people, right? And more and more, you start to distance yourself from people who aren't believers. And while there is a good, right, healthy thing about saying, I wanna surround people myself with people who love Jesus like I do and value the things I do, if you ever get to a point in life where you don't have anyone in your life you speak to or connect with who are, who are not Christians, like you've missed a key element of your identity and your calling in this world. We're called to be in contact with people who aren't Christians. If for nothing else, here's the reason. Um, it's really easy if all you do is put yourself in a Christian bubble to think everyone in this world is a Christian. But then you see things in the world and people act like they're not Christians because they're not. And then you're shocked, stunned, overwhelmed that someone would possibly believe things other than you. And it's so easy on social media too, right? To just start following and getting yourself in this echo chamber where everything you see, you agree with. What do we need to do? We need to make sure we're stepping out of our echo chamber, out of our holy huddle, and being in contact with people who aren't already believers. That's how we live into our calling, our identity of being salt. It goes on this way in verse 13. Jesus says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now you'll remember one of the things I said um, in that verse where Jesus says you are salt is that this is a metaphor. It is an image. It is a picture. And people push this verse way too literally. Like people who are like, I can disprove the Bible. You're like, how? They're like, Jesus said salt can lose its saltiness, but technically NACL cannot be broken. Like, like they just get so exact. And then like, listen, here's how Christians have lost their minds. They go like, actually in the ancient world, sometimes salt would go into the oven and then it would get so hot that it would break. Like it's an image, people. This is what it is. Jesus is trying to give us a picture, an image of what it means to lose our calling and our identity, to step out of what God has called us to be, to step out of the image, the life, the calling God has for us. 
See, see here when it says salt loses its saltiness, again, I don't think Jesus is like, all right, how does salt technically not be salt? Like, I don't think he's going that far. But there is a fascinating word he uses for it that I think helps us understand what Jesus is trying to use. You'll see these words underlined up here on the screen that salt loses its saltiness. What you see when it loses its saltiness, it's actually one Greek word. It's a verb behind us. And this verb, it's so great. In the Greek, the verb is pronounced moreno, moreno. Which like, it doesn't actually take like an education in Greek to know that this is where we get the English word moron from. Like truly. Okay, like you think about this for a second. Like Jesus is saying, if you are moreno, you lose your effectiveness. If you are a moreno, you lose your ability to actually help the world. If you are a moreno, you actually step out of the identity and the calling that God has on your life. This is a fascinating thing. Like when you hear moreno, moreno actually means to be foolish, to act foolishly. This is the definition of this word. And here's what can happen really easy. You can act foolishly with digital tools. You can act foolishly. Like with these digital tools, you can do all sorts of things where you act foolishly and it actually takes you out of the calling and identity that God has for you. Like the first thing, we all know this is the obvious one, right? You can sin with these things. Like with your phone, you can do all sorts of sinful and wicked things that you have no business doing. You can do things that actually take you away from God that rob you of your joy and rob you of your peace. You can sin with these tools. But listen, you can also be cruel with these tools. You can be mean. You can be rude. You can be condescending. In the video earlier, we were hearing about the comments section. And let me just warn you, the comments section is usually not a place for your sanctification, okay? If your goal is, I'm going to get in the comments section, and I'm going to prove that I'm right and they're wrong, that I'm smart and they're the Moreno here, right? Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, like, listen, if your general impulse on the internet is I will show how much I am right and they are wrong, how great I am and how stupid they are, you might win the argument, but I promise you it has nothing to do with Jesus. Because you dunking on people, you humiliating people, you destroying people online might feel good, but it does not lead you in the direction of Jesus. Like, remember, 1 Corinthians says this, 1 Corinthians 13, this famous passage on love that we all love, says love is kind. It is not self-seeking. It is not rude. And if you are being rude on the internet, you are acting foolishly and you are stepping out of your identity. You are stepping out of your calling. If you're using your social media to promote yourself, to try to attract attention to yourself, to get everyone to think about you and talk about you, to pull people in, to cause drama, if you act foolishly on these digital tools, a number of things will happen. Number one, you will not create a thirst for God. Like I need to be clear on something. I have all sorts of biblical beliefs, things I believe are right, wrong, good, bad, wicked, and righteous, things I believe based on the Bible. But if my impulse on the internet is argue with everyone else to show them how right I am and humiliate everyone else on the internet, I might actually win the argument, but do I create a thirst for God at all? No, you know that's true. I know that's true. And yet we see the embarrassing spectacle of Christians all over the world using social media to try to win arguments. Like, that's just not your zone. It's not your space. You don't have to show up to every fight you're invited to. In fact, most fights on the internet, most arguments you can get into, you weren't even invited to in the first place. It's not even anyone posted. They're like, I hope she comments on this. Like, no, they didn't care. They're just thinking about themselves and you jump into it and you argue with people. When you're foolish, you do not create a thirst for God. Listen, you do not bring out the best in others. When you're acting like a fool, when you're actually acting sinful and wicked and condescending and rude and mean and unkind, you're not bringing out the best in others. And listen, you do not proclaim the hope and healing of Jesus to the world. That's not what you're doing. 
And so again, I just think there should be this warning for us, not just to not use our phone too much, but to be just so wise in how we do this. Like again, if I could just say one thing over all of us, and I think this is generally true of this room, but let it continue to be true of this room. Like the internet is not just our, it's, it's not our battleground. Like when we say to engage the internet to be salt, like don't mistake that for the word assault, okay? Like it's a different thing. Like we're supposed to be light and salt and yet so many Christians are like, the best way for me to reach the world with the gospel is to find every sinner and tell them how awful they are, right? And like that is not a strategy for anyone to be built up in Jesus. Again, if you act foolishly on the internet, you harm your witness, you do not help it. And listen, if I'm speaking about you tonight, right? There's only one biblical word for what to do when you are a convicted about your sin. And it's not to make excuses and it's not to justify the only biblical word when we talk about your sin is to repent. And here's what I want to say tonight, that your digital life is real life and requires repentance. There's this weird thing that kind of floats around. You're like, well, yeah, I said something rude and condescending and harsh. I'd never say to their face, but it was on Instagram. So it doesn't really count. It counts. It's the real life. If you have said rude, harsh, mean, unkind things, if you have been a jerk, if you have been a bully, if you have done things that are sinful and wicked on the internet, it's still your real life and you are called to repent of those things. And I want to invite you to repent tonight. If you've seen the internet as your battleground where you just go on and you rip people apart in the name of Jesus, I just want you to know, I think if Jesus had social media, he would very rarely, very rarely be fighting with people in the comments section. He would instead be someone who is filled with grace, filled with kindness, filled with mercy. He would speak the truth, but he would be filled with these things. Jesus goes on this way. Um, in verse 14, he's going to say these words to us. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Once again, I want to point this out, and it's so important to say this. Jesus does not command you to be light. I hear this all the time. We're supposed to be light. We gotta go and be a light on the internet, a light on our college campus. We gotta be a light in our workplaces. Jesus does not command you to be light. Jesus says that you already are. He says that you already are. This is who you are. You are light already. This is what God has bought you for, purchased you for with his son's blood, that you would be a light in the darkness. Jesus does not command you to be light. Jesus says that you already are. And what does light do? Uh, salt, we said three different things. Light, I'm just gonna give you something profound. It's gonna blow your mind. Here's what light does. Light illuminates the darkness. Like, wow, I'm so glad I came to church, right? But like, that's what light does. Light illuminates the darkness. That's what it does. It lights up the darkness. You notice like darkness never overtakes light, right? It's always the other way around. It's dark, light comes in and it pierces through. If this light was on forever, the darkness would never overcome it. It would keep shining. And that's what we're called to do, to keep shining into the midst of the darkness because that's who God has created us to be. Listen, followers of Jesus can illuminate the darkness, we can bring light into the darkness because that's how God has made us to be. And we bring light into the darkness when we recognize the darkness for what it is. What is social media? What is the internet? What is our general culture right now? It is a cesspool of anger and negativity and cynicism and rudeness. May those words never define you. Instead, on your online interactions, may it be positive, may it be kind, may it be encouraging, may it be gracious, may it be merciful, may it be patient. Be the type of person who says, I'm not going to fall into the cesspool of negativity, but I'm going to raise out of that because I'm going to be a light into the darkness. I think when we talk about being a light in the darkness, I also want to point out the connection between being a light and being truthful. You'll notice certain idioms we use in our culture and our, 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 our vocabulary. We'll say things like, hey, I'm in the dark on this one. Can you help me out? What are we asking? 
Can you, when I say, can you shed some light on this? What you're saying is I don't understand this, but I want to understand this. When I ask you to enlighten me on something, what I'm asking is for you to shine some light on it to help me understand the truth. And I want us to know that as followers of Jesus, the way we live out this calling, this identity Jesus has for us to be light on the internet is that we commit to being a people who always and only speak what's true and we refuse to lie. Can you just like make that like a core thing in your life? I don't say things I don't believe to be true. I don't lie and I speak the truth. Now, now here's the problem. The problem is no one's like, yeah, I'm just, I just lie all the time. That's why like, no one says that, right? And yet we are awash in a social media internet age that just seems to be filled with untruths. So what does this mean? This just means like I'm not going to post or repost something on my social media that I do not know to be true. And that's going to require you to act different than all of your friends. If you are going to choose to not lie and to speak the truth only, it might require that you wait more than six seconds before you see something in the news and post about it on your story. It might require that you actually be patient and wait for the facts to come out. It might require that you don't just see the thing that confirms all of your prior beliefs and immediately jump to post about how outraged you are about it. In fact, I think part of us being light on the internet is us choosing a strategic kind of patience when it comes to posting about events that happen in the world. When something happens in the news, I just need to release some of you. You don't have to say something right away. Let me say that again. When something happens in the news... You do not have to say something right away. We are not all on the edge of our seat waiting for your commentary. We're, I know, I know it's shocking because you're like, if I don't say something, everyone's gonna know I haven't said something and they're gonna read into me not saying something. So I gotta say something right in there. Or, or this idea floats around like silence is violence, right? Can we just put an end to that? Silence is silence, violence is violence. Let's stick with that. Seriously, sometimes silence means cowardice. Like you don't have the courage to speak, but sometimes Silence means I'm thinking about it. Sometimes silence means maybe I'm not the best person to speak right now and I'm gonna stay silent. Sometimes silence means I'm going to listen to other voices before I spout off an opinion that I haven't really formed. You ever notice how you seem to have to be an expert in everything? First, you're an expert in epidemiology. Then you are an expert on politics. Then you are an expert on the economy. Then you had to be an expert on race. Now you have to be an expert on Ukraine, as if any of you knew where Ukraine was even before this, right? You're like, now I'm an expert on all things, right? You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to say anything. You can just sit in silence. And you know what? That's a biblical idea because James tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So next time you have that impulse that says, I've got to say something about this news event right away, just go, you know what? I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm not going to jump in and say something right away because I feel the need to. In fact, I'm going to act differently. I'm going to wait to listen and hear and really think deeply about this because I don't want to say anything that's not true. I want to speak the truth. That is what it means for us to illuminate the darkness. We don't say things that are false. Also, don't say things that are personally false. So here's a commitment I have in my life. I'd like some of you to take this on. I do not say publicly, I am praying for X unless I have actually prayed multiple times for X. Right? You know how often we post like thoughts and prayers. And it's like, you haven't actually prayed? Like sometimes I see a tragedy and I see all the people who are posting pray for X. And I wonder like, how many prayers have actually gone up? What's the ratio of prayers to Instagram posts? You know? Like, don't say you're praying for something if you're not praying for it. Don't say you're heartbroken over something if you're not actually heartbroken over it. Like, like don't say you care about something if you don't actually care about it. You don't have to speak on everything. And that is freedom, people. 
It is freedom. Part of how we bring light to the world is we speak truth. We refuse to lie. We decide to be encouraging. We decide to be positive. Listen, we said earlier that salt only works if it has, if it has contact, but light only works if it has contrast. And contrast means we look different. And if no one can look at your social media and the way you post and the way you talk and the way you operate online and go, hey, that looks a little bit different, then there is some space where you are not stepping into the identity and the calling that God has put on your life. We are called to look different. We're called to act different. You are not called to post and speak and comment and say things just like everyone else in the world. We're called to have contrast. Jesus goes on this way in verse four and he says, 14, he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does anyone put a light in a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And I've always loved that last phrase there. Like this light we're supposed to have is on a stand and that light is not like a flashlight where I zoom it over there or, or I pinpoint it over there. It's instead a different kind of light. We put it on the stand and what does it shed light to? It sheds light to everyone in the house. And here's my conviction. I think what Jesus is talking about here is the kind of light you shed, the kind of a positivity or encouragement or blessing or care you give cannot be directed only toward the people you like cannot be directed only toward the people you already and only agree with. I'll put it this way tonight. If your light is not for everyone, it's not really for anyone. If your light is not for everyone, it's not really for anyone. What do I mean by that? Um, if your intention is I'm going to be positive and encouraging to the people I already like, because those people will be positive, encouraging back to me, then you're not really being positive and encouraging for them. You're doing it for you. If you only bless people who are going to bless you in return, you're not really blessing for them. You're blessing for yourself. When I know, I know that I am being a blessing, not for myself, but for others. When I choose to do things that I know will do nothing in return for me. When I comment a positive or encouraging thing on someone else's post, and I know they cannot help me at all. When I send someone a text message just to bless them and encourage them and build them up, and I know they have nothing to offer me that I need in that moment. When I am shedding light, not just to the people who can help me, but to everyone, I know I'm walking into my calling and into my identity. See, listen, there's a superficial kind of light, and it's this. Superficial light is a blessing to those who bless you. But let me just tell you this, child of God. Anyone can be a blessing to those who bless you. That's easy. That's simple. If your goal is, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be more encouraging. I'm going to send more positive and encouraging texts to all the people I already like, to all the people who agree with me politically, to all the people who are already on the same page with me about everything. Like, there's nothing supernatural about that. Let me tell you what supernatural light is. Supernatural light is a blessing to those who curse you. Supernatural light is you hearing someone being vicious and unkind to you. And instead of responding viciously and unkind to them, it's you praying for them, encouraging them, thanking them, like we heard earlier, for their feedback, being a person who chooses to bless those who curse you. That's supernatural. Is there anything supernatural about the way you do online stuff? Like, or do you just kind of like doing what everyone does, where you're kind to people who are kind to you, you're mean to people who aren't nice to you, and that's just kind of how you roll because that's how everyone rolls. So here's how we're going to close tonight, verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. And I want you to notice the connection here between what we've been talking about here, this light that's shining and Jesus immediately jumps into your good deeds. So in some way, there's this connection between being a light and doing good deeds, being a light and actually doing things that live out of the calling and the identity that Jesus has put on our life. And so here's how I want to close our series. And here's how I want to close our evening. Really simple. I want to give you five ways your light can shine online. 
five ways that you are the light of the world. Jesus has said, this is who you are. And Jesus's big burden is not that you have to become light or brighten up the light. He's just saying, don't like put a bushel over it. Don't put a basket over it. Don't hide the light. So here's five ways you can let your light shine online. Number one, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Just decide to be a person who at the very least will not lie. You won't say things just because it feels good. You won't say things just because all the people who agree with you politically are saying them. And so you want to throw in too because you want to be about that thing and you want to show everyone how much you care. You just want to speak the truth. Or at the very least, do not lie. Just like steadfastly refuse to put anything out into the internet that you do not believe to be true. No matter what the pressure is, no matter what people want to push on you, no matter what everyone else is saying, I'm just not going to do it. Number one, speak the truth. Number two, pray for sinners. That seems kind of weird, right? Like, how's that online? Here's how it's online. So the other day I was online, I was scrolling through social media and I saw a post and it made me mad. <laughs> you ever seen a post that made you mad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like every day, all day, all the time. I saw a post that made me mad. Oh, I was so mad about it. I was so upset. And I'm like, you know what? Some people listen to me, so I'm going to post something about it. I'm going to show how wrong those people are. I'm going to ridicule it. I'm going to mock it. I'm so mad at them. And you know what I did in that moment? I acted like a not Christian. That's me acting like someone who's not following Jesus. Because followers of Jesus are not called to curse those they disagree with. They're called to pray for them. And here's a great rule of thumb. If you ever see a post on the internet that makes you angry, before you do anything to respond or rebut it or rebuke it publicly, pray for the person. Don't just pray like, God, give me peace. Pray for this person who posted something that I find offensive. Pray for that person. You will find it incredibly hard to be rude, condescending, and mean to someone that you've been on your knees praying for. Pray for them. Speak the truth. Pray for them. Number three, encourage people who need it. Find people who need encouragement and encourage them. Encouraging them might mean um, you just saying something kind to them. It might mean a comment. You know what it might mean? It might mean you Venmoing them $10 so they can go buy a slice of pizza, right? It might mean you using DoorDash to send them some kind of treat and just saying, hey man, was just thinking about you. Check your front door. There's a nice little dessert for you there, right? And listen, if you only do that for your best friends who you love so much, because hopefully they'll do it for me someday, right? You're missing the point of the sermon tonight. You do this for people, you serve, you care, you give to people who cannot give in return. And then I think here's the most powerful way we encourage people who need it. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. And when he tells you to text someone an encouraging word, you do it. So this morning, this morning, it was so ridiculous. Um, I, was, I was getting dressed and suddenly this guy pops into my mind that I have not spoken to in nine years. I did the math, nine years. I haven't spoken to him in nine years. And suddenly he pops into my mind and the spirit whispers to my spirit. It wasn't like an audible voice from heaven, but it was so clear, text him. You know what my response was? <laughs> you text him. <laughs> you like, I didn't wanna do this. That's weird. That's why I haven't talked to this guy in nine years. Like, it's not like we're like buds. It's not like this is like a guy I love. I don't even know if he's walking with Jesus anymore. I'm a pastor. Is this gonna weird him out? Is this gonna sound like I'm asking for money? Like, what is it gonna sound like? I mean, text him. Oh, Okay, fine. And so finally I pull out my phone. Like, I, okay, this is, I'm not, okay, I'll get into this. So 
I was driving, like arguing with the Lord. I was like, I, you text him. I don't want to text him. And finally I got to a stoplight that was eternal. And it was like, God's like, I'll wait, you know? And so I texted this guy at the stoplight. Um, and, then, and then the thought popped into my mind after I texted him. I fired off the text and I was like, okay, okay, God, I did it. I did it. Fine. I did my thing. And then I thought to myself, I was like, oh, this is so perfect because I'm preaching on this tonight. So God, what I'm sure is going to happen is he's going to send back some response about how this is perfectly timed and you nailed it. And so I was checking my phone all day, every bus. I'm like, oh, see him. You know, like I just kept checking for it. And you know what? Here I am on stage tonight. He hasn't texted back. <laughs> like nothing. But, but, but here's what's so important about this. Like, like I'd be bummed, but I didn't do it for my benefit. Like if I sat here thinking like, well, he hasn't texted back. So that was a waste of my thumbs. You know, like, like what am I thinking? Like, no, like this isn't for my benefit. And listen, if all I do is text people encouraging things so that they'll fire back an encouraging text to me, I'm not being a light to anyone. How do I be a light? I just say, yes. Can I just encourage you? Anytime a name pops into your mind that you have not spoken to in a long time, choose to send an encouraging text to them. And you're like, Brian, what if that's not God? What if it's me? What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> like, I am so offended that you would send me an encouraging text, okay? Like, send it, fire it off, be a blessing, be kind, don't be creepy. Dudes, don't be like, this is my shot. Like, no, it is not your shot. Just be kind and gracious. You know what you say? Hey, I was thinking of you earlier today. I spent some time praying for you. You're a blessing to me, and I hope you have a great day. And every single person in this room would be built up and encouraged if someone from their life sent them that text message today. Go do that. In fact, go do that before you go to bed tonight. You're like, what if the Lord doesn't prompt a name? Swipe through your phone randomly and pick one, okay? Like, do that. Be an encourage. Encourage people who need it. You're like, how do I know if they need it? Are they a human being with a pulse? Yes, they need it, right? Do that. Number four. Challenge people who want it. I believe we're supposed to encourage and challenge people, but I suppose we're supposed to encourage people who need it, and we're supposed to challenge people who want it. Like your job online isn't like challenge everyone and poke them in the eye all the time, but there are certain people who want you to challenge them. So like if throughout this series, you and your friends have been like, hey, can you challenge me on not using my phone so much? Like talk to them about their phone use. If there's people who say like, hey, can you text me to make sure I'm not looking at things online, that I'm not looking at pornography late at night, can you just text me to hold me accountable? Text them. So you want to encourage people who need it. You want to challenge people who want it, who ask for it. And then here's the final thing. Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. And when I say talk about Jesus, don't just be like, hey, uh, one time I prayed and it was cool. You know, like, that's not talking about Jesus. Uh, I went to church tonight. It was, it was awesome. You know, like that's not talking about Jesus. You know when you've talked about Jesus? When you use the name Jesus. You ever want to raise the temperature spiritually in people's life? Don't talk about God. Don't talk about things of faith. Don't talk about religion. Name the son. Because once you name the son, there is power in the name of Jesus. When I speak the name of Jesus, people are confronted with the resurrected king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be saying Jesus, posting Jesus' name. If Jesus doesn't pop up as an automatic thing in your text thing on predictive text because you're not using his name enough, change that. Like be a person who's talking about Jesus and posting about Jesus and texting about Jesus and using the name of Jesus. Why? There is power in the name of Jesus. And when the world sees Jesus, when the world sees the Son of God, things change. That is the light we are called to be to the nation. See, um, our band's gonna make their way back up and... Um, I want to remind us of something that we talked about all throughout the series, this sentence I've said since week one. Um, I have tried to remind you that you will bring glory to what you pay attention to. 
Like we said all throughout this series that whatever you pay attention to, whatever you're constantly obsessed with, whatever your eyes are constantly focused on, you will bring glory to. And if that is your phone, you will bring glory to your phone. And if that is your body, you will bring glory to your body. And if that is someone else, another person, you will bring glory to them. And that if if it's your God, you will bring glory to them as well. But here's the fascinating thing about human beings. One of the things human beings have this innate sense of being able to do is to watch where everyone's eyes go. Like, like, I don't know if you know this, but when I'm standing up in, a, in front of hundreds of people, I can see when people's eyes are darting around the room. And if suddenly everyone starts looking over there, I'm going to be like, what's over there? You know, like, like, like if suddenly everyone starts looking over there, I'm going to be like, there's something over there I'm supposed to be looking at. There's something over there that matters. If I'm looking this way and everyone's looking this way, I'm uncomfortable because everyone's eyes are directed that way. See, what's true is you bring glory to what you pay attention to, but you also bring glory to what you get others to pay attention to. See, this is where we need to land tonight, that we wanna have the type of lives online where we direct people's attention and everyone goes, I don't know what's over there, but everyone seems to be talking about this Jesus fella. I wanna hear about him. I wanna know about him. I wanna know him. I wanna have a relationship with him because these people seem to enjoy it so much. See, this is what you're called to do, to be the salt that Jesus says you already are, to be the light to the world that Jesus says you already are, to bring glory to what you pay attention to, but then to bring glory to what you bring others to pay attention to. That's what it means to have our minds attention and our hearts affection on Jesus Christ and Christ only. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the opportunity to look once again at your word. God, thank you that you have made us salt. You have said that we are something that can change the experience of others in this world. Thank you that you've made us light, that you have said we can shine into the dark places. Help us to do that, God. The internet seems like this wild, raunchy, negative, mean, cruel, brutal place. May we be a different kind of flavor. May we bring out a different kind of thing in this world. God, I don't just want us to behave ourselves or be moral citizens. I want us to show Jesus to a watching world. God, your great commission said that we are to bring Jesus to the nations and we have never been able to bring Jesus to more people than we are today. Help us do that. Help us talk about the son. Help us talk about the savior. Help us to exalt him in this space in church and in everywhere we go. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said real loud.